0: She, her, and hers. I am so excited to bring this conversation to you. Um, It really reminds me of how very, very, very important it is that we invest in time to really nurture our creative side and how we think about the communities that we are a part of and how they can also bring us nourishment. Before we dig into that conversation, I have an important reminder from our friends, a queer mathematics teacher. Are you, or someone you know, a high school student that identifies as LGBTQ If so, Camp of Mathematical Queries might be the perfect summer opportunity for you. Camp of Mathematical Queries is a free, virtual math enrichment program designed to tap into the rich funds of knowledge of the LGBTQ plus community and to provide a space in which queer and mathematical identities are affirmed as interconnected entities, central to the teaching and learning of math. Throughout the camp, students will engage in mathematical problem posing and problem solving of tasks centered on the beauty and joy of LGBTQ culture and history. To learn more about this free enrichment opportunity, visit TheQueerMathematicsTeacher.com. You'll find more about the camp of mathematical queries over in the show notes. You will also find in the show notes information related to today's amazing guests as well as links that take you over to explore their work as well as this special offering they are going to tell us all about today enjoy the episode
1: hello i'm barack alzaid and you can find me on social media at barackstar that's b-a-r-r-a-k-s-t-a-r because i am a barack star and I'm uh, speaking to you right now from Chiang Mai, Thailand, but in a couple of weeks, I'll be moving to Frankfurt, Germany. My partner uh, who's also been on your show, Tricia, has um, uh, gotten a position at an international school in Germany, and so we're really excited to be uh, moving there, but also uh, feeling Feeling a lot of feelings about leaving our home for the past five years and our friends, so. uh, But looking forward to the next stage of both of our careers, Chiang Mai has been kind of an extended writing residency for me, especially in the last couple of years with COVID, uh, we had the privilege of being able to work from home. And so that also gave me a kind of incubation period for my writing. uh, And we had, We were, you know, lucky to be here where uh, here in Thailand, where um, even though things were up and down, uh, we felt relatively safe. And so I was able to continue producing writing and and kind of slogging through it. And the next stage will be me pushing that finished book out into the world. So finding an agent and um, getting a publisher and um, circulating it and helping it find its audiences and the people who need to read it. So yeah, I think there's a lot of good stuff in store.
0: Uh, I mean, we'll refer to your portfolio of, of writing and, and get into that a little bit later on, because listeners, if you have not yet explored any of it, I think you'll, you'll be thankful for that incubator period where um, it, it seems like you've been very busy. And I also do just want to thank you for taking and making the time to come on the podcast. Uh, while you are on the cusp of a move because, you know, as you kind of indicated, it is like a a salad of emotions almost. So um, I'm really happy that you're here because uh, we want to kind of celebrate and talk a little bit about this opportunity that you're bringing to folks, uh, both aspiring and writers who have some experience you'll be launching a virtual writing retreat it's coming up quickly actually i I believe registration closes july 1st and i was hoping that you could talk to us a little bit about sort of the story behind this virtual writing retreat um you know maybe some of the the values that are are baked into it and what you're hoping that experience might mean for the community that comes together
1: absolutely i uh I guess I I put a lot on my plate, you know, I put a lot of, of that salad of emotions you mentioned onto my plate. Hey, <laughs> uh, writers and metaphors. Mm-hmm. Uh, by designing this writing retreat, but I, you know, in the last couple of years, it's been really challenging because I tend to be a more collaborative person when it comes to both making art and Uh, just work in general and writing can be a very solitary act Uh, but i realized like in my um, my teaching experience i was teaching high school um, various high school english classes and drama classes and also in kuwait and also teaching uh, university classes here in entrepreneurship and um, business writing and uh, so on and so forth and I realized that if I was feeling bored, my students were definitely feeling bored. And even though I really love writing and love, you know, reading and literature, getting into it and getting into that flow can be really challenging, especially, you know, we're, we're taught like you have to write in a certain way or, uh, you have to, um, know you have to write in a certain way or you have to um organize your material in a certain way and that's really unfair to people who have complex stories that they want to tell and it doesn't really suit people who have different storytelling traditions you know whether it's um you know whether you grew up in the united states or kuwait there's just a lot of different ways we tell our stories even within within those respective countries, those cultures, those religions, etc. So my background is in theater and performance, and that's always been uh, something that really sustained me. And I started drawing on some of those uh, theater games to stimulate my students and help them generate material for their writing. So I found that adding that element of joy and delight and curiosity and discovery, and most importantly, collaboration to the mix, really help them engage and care about their material in a different way and care about the material of their peers in a different way. And it kind of gets you in the body and, and gets you a little, you know, yeah, it just, you know, on a basic level, it gets the blood flowing, but then it also gets the ideas flowing as well. So I wanted to, uh, after doing this for a few years, and also doing this in my own writing group, my um, in-person writing group here in Chiang Mai, uh, I realized that this was something that uh, could be used on a wider level. A lot of the critiques that I um, have read in writing and publishing has to do with the workshop model. Which also exists for, um, you know, there's the Readers and Writers Workshop um, on a K through 12 level. And that's adapted from the Iowa Writers Workshop, which is actually um, put into place by the CIA. So it has a very, the workshop model has a very um, strange and um, oppressive history that is kind of recreated throughout the years. And there's been lots of really good interventions and critiques of that to make the workshop anti-racist. And there are some really valuable books um, that I can you know, share um, um, share with you to share with your listeners. What I realized was that there isn't a lot about process. There isn't a lot about before we get to put pen on page or fingers on keyboards, how do we actually generate the material how do we spark that inspiration, and also do it in an ethical way where uh, we are treating our subject matter with reverence and respect and doing everything that we can to gather everything that we can know um, in order to honestly and authentically tell that story. And it's obviously impossible to do it to the fullest extent, um, but... um, we need to know enough to determine whether we should be the ones who are telling the story. Mm-hmm. And if we have done all the research and done all the um, engagement with the material and realize that maybe somebody else should tell that story, that's that's a fine prospect. And my the methods that I've kind of developed into this writing retreat uh, really encompass all of that experience. So ways in which I bring in collaboration and joy into the mix, uh, the ways that I bring in the body into writing, uh, the ways I bring uh, interactivity and communication uh, in order to collect uh, the knowledge that you're going to put into the page. Uh, Those are all I feel like really important lessons that I learned in the last five years of working on my memoir in a concerted fashion. And I'm really excited to share these, and I think initially, I was targeting my workshop to teachers because I feel like there's a fractal effect that can happen. Uh, and I saw it in my students and in my colleagues who I worked with in my former schools who adopted some of these methods or or utilized them and so I also think that teachers don't give themselves enough time to pursue their own creative voices in their creative projects. They're prioritizing the students constantly. So I wanted to create something that was tailored to teachers that they could serve themselves and infuse their own writing practice and their own creative practice with some, some energy and some, uh, some inspiration. And you know, as a bonus, they can they can take these things to their students if they want, because I'll be providing some materials that can be adapted for pretty much any kind of classroom setting. Uh, but then you know, I've been doing this with my workshop here in Chiang Mai, and so the writers that I work with also really benefit from it, and I learn a lot. So really, this workshop is for anyone, you know. Uh, or this writing retreat. It's a series of workshops and open-ended writing prompts, uh, and some mini assignments.
0: Uh, and you know, I, I appreciate you saying the workshop is for everyone, and I, I think a core part of the design too. And and listeners, of course, the the link to registration is there in the show notes. Is you know, you have different offerings in terms of, of payment and what's accessible for others, which I think is really rare to see. And what you were talking about in terms of, you know, educators not necessarily always having access to be able to enjoy um, and get in touch with their own creative side really resonates with with me. Um, you know, and I would say it's it's such a Bizarre contrast when you think about it, because many of us are like, you know, leaders of, you know, we're always talking about like creativity matters, creative thinking skills matter, um, and experiencing it for ourselves can be really powerful, as can be that collaborative piece that you were mentioning. Um, 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 you know, you have me thinking about years ago, I experienced at a workshop, we had um, we had this practitioner who's known as the improv lady who came and ran a number of of uh, theater games with educators. And it, it really was, as you said, like in the body, in the moment, truly collaborating with others. And it was really emotional for, for some of the, the people in our group who I think kind of realized I haven't done something this joyful with colleagues in a long time. I haven't gotten this playful with others in a long time. Um, and and I just, you know, that, that moment is coming back to me because I'm thinking that's so important for us, um, maybe in some ways more important than ever before. Um, and yet, you know, you touched on sometimes the art of writing or the act of writing is presented as this like solitary, um, you know, confined sort of scenario. And I'm, I'm wondering if you would expand on why it is so important to think about writing as a community endeavor as something that can really be about co-creating community um, and and maybe a a bit more about what that's really meant for you personally
1: absolutely i really appreciate that question because it kind of gets to the heart of why marrying these two mediums these two artistic processes of embodied performance and writing is so important because I have seen and experienced the kind of transformation that performance in theater makes possible. Uh, When I was, um, you know, I myself suffered very acute uh, depression as a high school student and theater is what saved me. It gave me a structure. It gave me a space where I understood that there were, you know, that I was needed and wanted and uh, a space where I was learning and growing and creating things that other people wanted to see. And so it, it forced me to keep showing up week after week, because I knew that I was valued and I had a valuable contribution. And we were making something together, which was super special. And I think that that, is missing from the solo writing process that sense of community and um, affirmation, which is there usually in the process of like reading each other's works or co-working. Um, but it's it's somehow it misses a little bit of that that interactive spark, that spark of connection. And then writing is a medium that circulates so fast and so widely. You can print something, I print something, you know what I mean? You can post something. <laughs> I'm showing my age. You can post something online and then it can go viral really fast. Uh, or it can, you know, reach somebody across the world. It, you know, gets five clicks, but it, hits the right person at the right time and touches them in a very important way. And we've seen that writing resonates so strongly when we look at some um, really prominent uh, writers and their follower base. And we also see it on, you know, on the negative side, it's like we have a crisis of um, imagination. And being unable to imagine the other as a person and it's very clear that logic and conversations aren't working and i think we need to go even deeper into that kind of interactive imaginative space in order to find those connections and to be able to build out relationships in order for people to see what they perceive as the other or as difference as threatening, as uh, not human. Um, I think that putting these two mediums together has really helped sustain my creative practice. And so even on that level, I think it can help other artists who feel the sense of isolation or the sense of the enormity of their project to get an infusion of um, energy and to have a sense that their project is being seen and nurtured and cared for at early stages.
0: I, yeah, I mean, the, again, that really resonates with me. I am going back a few years now where it was a teacher group, sort of like a, a PLC and we were exploring blogging and we sort of like had our own writer's group. The intention of it initially was just to be kind of doing the digital literacy piece of understanding the tech and how that works. Um, and it was a smallish group. And I had vastly underestimated how powerful it was just to really have, you know, we we sort of took turns being one another's audience. And even within just sort of a small sphere, how powerful that was, how, you know, it was a big school, we didn't always get to interact with one another face to face, but the connection that built in a short period of time was just really profound um you know i I mentioned earlier that we would make sure to have the link to your portfolio in the show notes Uh, and and what is just so impressive is how your writing crosses over so many different genres um you know and and again i just i find that really amazing that um you're able to sort of specialize in so many different fields you've won an award for your poetry and, and recently for a short story as well. Um, and, and listeners, we're going to point you to two different links um, where there are, are readings. Um, one of them comes from the Lambda Literary YouTube channel, and it's it's just an excerpt from your, your memoir. It's, it's a delight to listen to. So listeners, I would almost say, like, turn my voice off for a second, go over to the show notes, pull that link up. Um, i I am showing my age by describing it as delightful, but it is delightful. Um, <laughs> I'm wondering, actually, if you might just talk a little bit about the role that external audience plays in your work, um, because as you mentioned, yes, we can produce something, we can share it, it can go viral. but sometimes the the idea of even just sharing something with like one or two people, um, you know, like, can be anxiety inducing. But um, I'm guessing that, you know, audience because you have had such a huge audience uh, has been really meaningful to you. And my question is just sort of like mirandering back to the main point of, um, you know, how do you negotiate that you're you're sharing work that is highly personal, at times? Um, what, What has that experience been like for you?
1: It's always been really important to me to have my immediate family members who I love and care about and have them involved in the writing process. Uh, Because I worked hard to recuperate the relationship with my mother that uh, really fell apart in the wake of me coming out, and I felt that the story that I was telling in my memoir what was one of intergenerational estrangement and uh, and loss and telling the story was a way of sharing that and sharing also the framework for our healing and so I always was writing with a few important people in mind this is who my story is for it's for the my younger self it's for my cousin who was my best friend growing up and it's for my mother and there's a lot in there that depicts each of those characters including me and in not very positive light and there's also meaningful discoveries that emerged because I was having conversations with my mother and with my cousin, where I was able to tap into things. And of course, not everybody has that level of access to people in the stories that they want to tell, either because they're deceased or because they're estranged and those family members were, or, you know, relatives or whomever were abusive. And I'm not saying that that is, you know, a requirement to tell the story, by any means, absolutely not. It's, you need to tell the story in the way and in the form that makes sense for you. But this is what made sense for me. And so when we write, we often are told to write with a intended reader in mind, you know, an imagined reader. So the person who picks up the bookstore, your book at the bookstore is, um, you know, one of the readers, but they're not like necessarily the intended reader. Uh, so sometimes it's really clear, like in um, Kiese Layman's memoir *Heavy*, uh, he writes in the second person "you" to his mother in the first in the preface, and so it's very clear that one of the intended audiences is his mother, who, um, you know, they have a a complex and and really incredible relationship. And that writing uh, was really inspiring to me because the specificity and and direction of that work showed me that I could be specific and direct in my own and and who I intended it for and how it could be kind of universalized. So there's audience in that level of like, who is the audience for the work? But then there's also, um, who are you bringing into your process? And I I do have... Um, different like writing groups and and workshops that I've done over the years where I've had people write uh, oh, sorry I've had people read uh, excerpts um, and give critiques and feedback but it's also uh, been interesting for people to read my work and see things that I hadn't seen in it so uh, the poem that you referenced earlier called VET Um, is uh, something that I wrote as a micro nonfiction piece. And I showed it to a friend who is a poet and the friend was like, this is a poem. And I love musicality in writing. I love the sound and feel and rhythm of sentences. There's something about that sensation of reading and feeling that is very powerful for me but I'd never really thought of myself as a poet and I was like oh okay can you help me figure out how to make it a poem and so he helped me just think about the line breaks differently the the breath um and just by changing the shape of it on the page change the experience of reading it And having him guide me in that way by paying attention and, you know, receiving my work and echoing it back was really powerful. And that poem obviously found resonance with other people who, uh, you know, recognized it with this award, which is like the first poem that I've ever submitted for publication and, you know, it won a, prize I was really honored because it felt so outside of the realm of my possibility that I didn't imagine myself as writing poetry And it also helped me to see that you know this is this is part of my writing toolkit that I can that I can use that and that was really exciting
0: um, and, and again accessible from your portfolio so listeners do please go check that out um you know again as someone who has experience as you were mentioning really cultivating a community for writers which is not an easy thing to do um you know as, as you were mentioning even just that that dynamic of who is my intended reader who is my intended audience um and navigating that um that that dynamic even in your imagination um th- that's a lot right i'm wondering uh You know, in planning for the upcoming virtual writers retreat, if you had a few questions that you needed to reflect on or ask yourself that um, you wanted to think kind of really critically about when you were designing uh, this upcoming retreat, like were there were there a few things that you were thinking? What what is going to be important, Uh, you know, just in the same way that you have your imaginary readers, you have maybe your imaginary writers who are registering for this event, too, I'm guessing.
1: Well, the main question was, how am I going to take these device theater exercises that I've done in person in classroom with people and make them virtual and obviously anything is possible in this digital age, but there is there is something that we lose in. Uh, transmitting that and not being in physical proximity to each other, I also think that it is important enough to face that challenge and to try and to experiment and perhaps to fail a little bit in this first attempt. What I'm excited about is that we've already got a few people registered who, you know, are eager and excited to embrace that experimentation within their own work and to collaborate and help define this. So I was, you know, like many instructors I was teaching uh, online um, for a a couple of years. And so I was able to take that experience and my attempts to go from a more linear, here are my instructions, here is the assignment and try to make it more interactive and marry that with some of these in-person device theater exercises. So let me me give a concrete example um, because I think if people haven't done one or the other, it can be kind of a head, a head spin. So for example, one of the, uh, one of the things that I have people do is, uh, to close their eyes and make sure that they're in a safe and comfortable spot and to feel a feeling at like a level three or four. So, um. If you want to feel happy at a three or or a four so feel that in your body feel where it's it's hitting you and then dial it up dial it up to a seven or eight and how does that feel where is that sensation what are the memories and things that are being evoked and then for those who are able to can they can get out of their chairs and can kind of move around the room and shape their body in a way that feels like a nine or a 10 with that emotion. And that's just, you know, we all want people to think and feel things when we write. And so accessing those emotions, when we're at our writing desk helps us describe them and also make connections between them. The images that come to mind might be useful for helping to connect. So um, this is related to somatics. It's related to also um, you know, theater in that way. Um, it's related to writing. And so I kind of put all those things together um, in just like one simple prompt. And I actually, if people sign up for uh, my email list, you'll get a couple of emails. Um, And it's a series of mini workshops. So if you wanted to see what this digital workshop, this online virtual writing retreat was about, uh, you could access a free version of it uh, that uh, runs you through uh, a number of the exercises. So that's one example. And then another one that I'm trying out for this writing retreat, since we have a few people, is that we're going to... um, do some mirroring exercises and some remote image sculpting, so what shapes can we make with our bodies and expressions with our faces uh, and and what meaning can that convey? You know what new metaphors can we create by paying attention to how our bodies move through space and these kinds of lessons can be applied to fiction and nonfiction writing to poetry. Um, it can even be just really great warm ups and ways of uh, ramping up the brain if you're just doing academic writing or journalistic writing. Um, there's a lot of prompts and very intellectualized ways of getting into your writing and sometimes just movement embodiment can be a different way to access the thoughts and the imag and the space of imagination that are so crucial for a creative process. So that, that emotion amplification, the image sculpting and image mirroring are things we're playing with in our workshop. And, um, also I, you know, a lot of educators, um, you know, and and we kind of grew up thinking like, oh, what kind of learner are you? Are you aural, auditory? Are you a visual? Are you kinesthetic? And I'm somebody who needs all of it (laughs) all at once (laughs) and. I learned that in writing like sometimes I just cannot put my fingers to the keyboard and type a linear sentence. Sometimes I need to get into my notebook, and like, draw a mind map, even though I'm well into drafting. And that's not the stage that we're taught as students when you should be, quote, unquote, doing a mind map, you know, do a mind map to brainstorm your ideas at the beginning of a project. And I'm like, No, you can do a mind map to actually map what you have on the page to figure out what it is you're trying to say. And so those those interactive and kind of kinesthetic practices that I've learned for myself, I'm also uh, teaching in this writing retreat, because I want to help people develop uh new rituals, to tap into their existing habits, stuff that's working for them, things that are creating friction, because that's all also part of our bodies, you know, when our, you know, when my hand goes to my phone, as soon as I open up my Word document, it's like, okay, that's clearly a learned behavior, you know, and and what do I need to do to create to remove that friction, and to allow myself to dive into the writing so we'll also do some work around that uh just what are some of the embodied practices that we can adopt things that we already do we can embrace things that we do that we can learn to let go of that can help us be better writers and also help you know the people that we're writing alongside who are in our writing groups are our students uh these are these are lessons that i think uh are really transferable
0: well and i'm going to say something like so cliche and i'm sorry because i know it's early in the morning so you might have to digest it on like an empty stomach but it's lessons i think again that are humanizing and are about being a better person you know i've been doing more reading this year on just emotional literacy and reckoning with as an adult, how um, uh, there's, I guess, research that shows if you're able to get really granular and very specific with identifying what you're feeling, you know, if you're experiencing anxiety, just noticing that it's not just like, I'm not just upset, like, what is the very specific emotion in that practice? And I'm like, wow, I really have not spent a lot of time being in my body and thinking about the specific feeling and feeling it, right? Like that's not something that I grew up doing and it it takes that practice. And I I really appreciate you demystifying some of the activities and making it really transparent what that experience will be. Because again, I, I just think it's so important to have some of those tools in your toolkit to be able to reach through. I mean, anytime I'm on Twitter and I come across one of those almost like cliche tweets of like, unclench your jaw, drink some water. I'm like, damn it, my jaw was clenched and I haven't had water in the past hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, just those reminders and those opportunities to to do that um, are, are just really invaluable. So I appreciate you sharing them and, and pointing us to the newsletter. Um, again, it's another great entry point. So there is still time listeners for you to register, be a part of this community um and again i what you're what you're describing is in my mind almost going beyond just exercising as a writer
1: absolutely and i am really committed to enacting and maintaining an inclusive anti-racist and accessible space i um i think that having taken a number of workshops as a student having participated as a business uh, development manager for uh, diversity equity inclusion uh, startup and doing a lot of this work to uh, to um, implement programming in in the startup to really listen to my disabled writer friends when they talk about how the spaces that are available online are not accessible and try to make my own more accessible. So that's a, that's a big priority for me. You know, I'm a queer, um, Arab and American person. Um, I am not, um, disabled and I am, uh, neurotypical, but I do have anxiety. I suffer from depression. I have a physical debility that doesn't impact my quality of life, but it's, it's all these things about myself that help me uh, understand the urgent need for myself as a able-bodied neurotypical ally to make spaces as accessible as possible. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of outline the ways that I do that because I think it's important to be clear and transparent again about. How how we're trying to make this you know accessible by uh, providing image descriptions, uh, captioning for um, the auditory components, uh, respecting people's bodies and capacities, and what their bodies and body minds are able to do. And so that's always, that's always at the, um, at the background and I'm, I'm very receptive and, and want to know people's needs as well. And it's just me setting this up. And, and so I will do everything that I can within my capacity to make it accessible and available. And that's part of it is having that choose, choose your own pricing, obviously there are some basic costs that I need to take care of, but it's more important for me right now to disseminate these practices. And I kind of embrace the Emergent Strategy um, and the Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute and their their um, philosophy around fractal. So the way in which things can reverberate and spread. And I really believe that this, this is a new way of, learning a new way of putting things together that aren't normally put together and i want to share that i'm really excited to share because i've seen the impact that it's had on my students i've seen the impact it's had on my writing uh my writing buddies and my writing group and i've seen the impact it has on myself you know my my partner was kind of bemused one day a couple of years ago because it's like i was really living that solo writer like angst, you know, miserable at my desk, papers all around. And that's, you know, that is a part of it, but it was, it was kind of the whole, the whole thing. And they said, well, you know, do you ever feel joyful about your writing? I was like, no. And I, I kind of used some confirmation bias and cited a bunch of different writers who, you know, are published and much lauded and, uh, you know, they had all talked about on podcasts or in interviews about how isolated and and miserable they were in their writing process and yada, yada, yada. And, but then I am also an artist. I, I co-founded a collective five years ago. And even though our process, which is driven by consensus, uh, is, can be very fractious at times and can elicit a lot of, emotion, it's still very joyful. We laugh a lot. And we know for laughing about an idea that we're on the right track, right? It's like, really, the most sincere way of acknowledging a sense of connection to each other and to the work that we're making. And I was like, why don't I have that for myself in my writing? I'm spending so much time with the writing. And, and so this effort to marry the joy of collaboration and interactivity of theater with the, uh, you know, the possibility of mass audiences and, um, you know, mass reach and, and, and uh, you know, distant reach with your writing, that seemed like a natural, uh, that seemed like a natural connection to form.
0: I mean, and it really does sound like a beautiful connection to be a part of. And I'm so happy you brought up emergent strategy. I think I've mentioned Adrian Marie Brown like 3,000 times on this podcast. Their work just, um, you know, again, that, that book, Emergent Strategy, is forever one of the most impactful books I think I have ever read. And the idea of fractals in nature and kind of taking that on for inspiration, I, I love, too, they point out murmurations and how there's not like a lead bird like they're actually taking turns in that formation i think about that all the time um and uh yeah I, I just love again that you're you're talking about what community can be when we are very intentional and when joy is a part of the recipe um you know i think for too long as you were mentioning it's sort of i don't know it was not on the priority list. And I I find it's, it's such an integral glue. Um, And and just the the playfulness and the fun. Yeah, I, I, we need more of that. And I I think, even when it's just fun or playfulness for playfulness sake, that's still great. Like that is still really, really wonderful. And, um, you know, before we started our formal interview, we were chatting about our dogs. And I feel like being a a dog parent, like it, that reminds me of it every single day. Um, and I, I just really appreciate that as well.
1: Yeah, just being silly, being, um, you know, being kind, being, uh, you know, connected in, in your body to the world around you is so critical. I love, yeah, I love emergent strategy. I love Adrian Marie Brown's work and, um, I often listen to their podcast, um, the emergent strategy, ideation Institute podcast, and also the podcast Adrian has with her sister, Autumn Brown, which is how to survive the end of the world. And both of those are really infused with, you know, yeah, um, emergent strategy, um, ways of thinking and being. And something that I've had to kind of practice in the last couple of weeks is small is all small is good small is all, which is one of the tenets or, or um, foundations of emergent strategy. Um, you know, because your your impulse when you do something like a workshop or a retreat or a talk or whatever, it's like you want the biggest audience possible. You want you know the the most number of participants. But at the same time, like I'm really happy with. To really onboard enthusiastic people who will be on this journey with me for five weeks, you know, and and that means that we're going to be able to do so much more together uh, because we'll have the time together. you know, it's it's not about having a scarcity mindset or a, a mindset around lack. And so I think that's something that I'm excited about. the the community side as well. I've set up a discord. And, uh, so we'll be using the discord as well. And I'm trying to consolidate my different writing communities there. So I also have, um, you were talking earlier about how difficult it is to, to make things happen. Uh, I forget what your exact words were, but it made me immediately think about the, um, the, uh, workshop critique group that I formed. So I. I'm part of a, a Facebook uh, community uh, that's run by Meredith Talusan, or it's founded by Meredith Talusan, and um, it's run by a couple of other writers. But it's called The Fairest Writer on Facebook. And it's really it's been really great. Like, the first version of this writing retreat, I gave it as a workshop for them. And that's kind of where the seed was planted. Uh, but I also I wanted um, to form a writing, a writing workshop critique group of other people who were working on book-length memoir or personal essay projects. And so I posted there and I got some good responses and that was back in December. And it's taken, um, let's see. (laughs) We've had our first workshop of a member's writing just this past week and that's six months later. So these things take time and these things take care. We spent a lot of time initially um, just corresponding. I was sharing some of the values around the space that I was trying to form. We met just as an informal group uh, just to talk about our needs and talk about what we wanted and what we were uh, hoping to get out of this and also what we could you know, contribute as far as where we were at in our writing process, and everyone's at a different stage. And it took, it took a lot, that took a lot, because I, I felt hopeless at times that I didn't feel at times that this was going to come together, because you're trusting other people to show up. And you are, you know, I want to respect their capacities and I respect their time. I also like, you know, I'm anxious about, Uh, the coordinating side and the logistical side and all that stuff is so boring but so important to get to the point where we're reading somebody's work and and really you know helping them connect to it in a different way so that they can take it to the next level and that's been really special uh so that that um community is also on the discord and we have I have set up different private channels so that people can you know, connect in an intimate and safer way, and then also connect and collaborate and correspond with each other in a different way. And it's, you know, the intention is just to have a place to go to that, you know, other people are also driven by the same desire to write and express and away from the algorithmic speed-driven spaces of social media. And there are lots of spaces out there and this is just one i think in creating this writing retreat i also want to connect it to a sense of community and that's um that's something i'm very much looking forward to as a part of it. whether we have two people or 20 people um that's that's where i've been i've been um really excited to 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 develop because this critical writing workshop for our manuscripts kind of emerged in the same, in the same vein. It started with a conversation with one friend and then we sort of expanded it and, um, now it's, it's got, it's got legs and wheels and gears, you know, whatever the, the metaphor is.
0: I I love that. And yeah, it's, it's a very important reminder that growth is often non-linear, um, and, um, that great things can start just from a conversation with one friend, um, so I, I again I, I would love to connect with you again to talk about the retreat, about um, you know your your plans once you settle. I think I think we'll be patient and let you settle in, um, explore your new home, and again we we wish you the best of luck with uh you know enjoying this time too right and and really um intentionally getting to to do that process of farewell and and goodbyes but thank you for for coming on the show for sharing with us this vision uh it's it's a beautiful model and even just the description alone let alone experiencing it has been like healing it's the evening for me and it's just a really it's going to be a nice sort of a nice a nice conversation to um yeah, to to leave the day with. So thank you so much for this.
1: Yeah, thank you, it was such a pleasure. Really looking forward to continuing the conversation.
0: Me too.